0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I invite you to take your Bibles and would you turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts the ninth chapter. Last week, we considered the fact that when the Lord saved you, when he saved me, he already had a complete plan in place for you and I as his disciples. Isn't that amazing? It sometimes can seem random here, uh, rugged. <laughs> uh, sometimes it lacks meaning, but not with God. By the way, Rachel just sang about the Lord's sovereignty. Even the weather shows his sovereignty. And he is sovereign over all things. And when you and I mess up, when we doubt and fear, you know, he has already compensated for that in his providence to get us back on track and help us complete that plan. That plan wasn't a life, though, of ease and smooth sailing. Instead, the Lord made you, one of his soldiers, to go back into enemy territory and rescue others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons it's, it's difficult. It's warfare. What's at stake are the souls of men and women and young people because there is an eternity And as we sang in one of the hymns, a real place called heaven and a real place called hell. Those who were on your rescue mission, each of us has a story of how we were rescued to Christ. But those who were part of your story took some risks, made some sacrifices. But the reward of watching the Lord use your life now has been worth it all. Now, admittedly, in America, the risk of doing Great Commission work is still minimal. I believe that's changing, but it's still minimal. But in the church age, all over the world, the risks have been enormous and often deadly for those who will be involved in the master's plan of reaching the world for, for himself, So last week in Acts 9, we learned about a man named Ananias who went to Saul of Tarsus. He did so at the risk of his own life and began the work of discipleship in Saul's life, just like the Lord commanded him. In that case, the Lord commanded him through a vision. You're not going to see visions Uh, But the Lord, through his word and through that still small voice, that clear voice, as the Spirit dwells in us and as he directs through us, you're going to be directed as well. Ananias was willing to be used. He did so, from a human standpoint, at great risk. But Ananias enjoyed the rewards of that decision the rest of his life. I don't know how long he lived. We're going to get to meet him in heaven. But all of his life he knew Saul of Tarsus, now Paul the Apostle, was planting churches all over the empire, and many, many souls were being reached. Don't you think that was an encouragement to Ananias? You all need to wake up this morning, all right? I know it's dreary. Uh, Smile at me, at least smile at me, all right? If the person next to you is not smiling at me, say say good morning, Help, help them, don't elbow them, but help them, wake them up, all right, all right. Those that impacted your life, if you're living for Christ, what an encouragement, what an encouragement you are to them. And God wants you to be encouraged by those that you disciple in Great Commission work. Christian, if you'll engage in the work of making disciples, as you depend on the Holy Spirit, regardless of the risks, you'll know the rewards of God using your life both here and in heaven. And that's the thrust of what we're going to see today. We're going to read about people in the book of Acts, and we, we read their stories, and we think, well, they were brave. They were this. They, they were exceptional. No, they were just like you and me. Human flesh, but the Spirit of God empowering them, working through them. Don't look in the mirror for the strength to press on. Look to heaven and lean on the Holy Spirit, who's going to do mighty work through you because he is promised. And so today we want to look in this next section in Acts chapter 9 at the at discipleships, risks, and rewards. The risks and rewards. If you look down at verse 23 of Acts 9, here's, here's where we begin this next section in the narrative. An exciting exciting part of scripture, something that I uh, remember hearing about as a child in Sunday school. And I'll tell you, reading this account this week, studying this account, wow, it, it, it just made my in- imagination run again as I thought about these true accounts. Acts 9.23, and after that, many days were fulfilled. All right, so remember... Saul is converted on the road to Damascus. Ananias is told by the Lord to go find him. He goes, lays his hands on him uh, as evidence that that he had been converted. The Lord allows the physical scales to fall off his eyes. He was blinded uh, because, and we saw this last time, he had literally seen the glorified Lord. Human eyes don't handle that well. And so... Through the ministry of Ananias, uh, he is introduced to other believers in Damascus. There uh, is some, some basic discipleship that takes place. But how many days is this referring to? Well, in order to know that, we have to turn to Galatians chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. If you want to go take a look at that, here's what we know from this text. That after Saul was saved, this is verse 16, and it will be up on the screen for you as well. Paul now is relating to the Galatians what God had done. That he had been saved to reveal the Son, the Lord Jesus, and to preach him among the heathen. But then he says this, Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. What's he talking about? He did not take counsel with men. In other words, at this point, his primary discipleship is not other disciples. Instead, okay, we read this in verses 17 and 18, Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem, to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. This is an amazing passage. So after some initial discipleship, but he he didn't confer with flesh and blood, God directed him into the wilderness. Yes, this is another one of those wilderness times God used in lives like Moses, okay? Uh, God sends... Saul to meet with him, and the total duration from the time he goes into Arabia until he returns to Damascus and goes back or goes up to Jerusalem, it's a three year period. Now, in the last message, we examined discipleship's master plan. We saw that God calls out devout or godly men and women to teach new Christians, to follow all that Jesus taught them and to equip them. This is great commission work. Now remember, and Paul will say this later, you follow me as I follow Christ. If you're going to do discipleship work, you've got to be an example of Jesus. But along with your example, your challenge is to get them to walk with Jesus, to know what he has said. So what does Acts 9.23 and Galatians 1.16-18 teach us? Don't miss this. If Saul did not take counsel with flesh and blood in Arabia, this had to be a personal encounter with the glorified Savior. This is what's exciting. How many years did Jesus spend with the disciples who became the other apostles? Three, three and a half? Do you know that for this apostle... How's the apostle? He had seen Jesus. He had seen the risen Lord. Okay? Now the Lord is going to direct him into Arabia, and he's going to get his own three years of discipleship. I want to ask you how many of you knew that that had happened, but isn't that amazing? That's what the Lord did. So just as the other apostles had learned under Jesus for three years Now Saul is given his opportunity. But here's the primary lesson in this passage about discipleship. Here it is. The new disciple will need to spend time with Jesus, and the discipler must teach him or her what that means. Teaching them to observe all that the Lord has commanded is not just filling their head with facts from the Bible. They need to know sound doctrine. But what did Jesus teach? He said, I want you to be like me. I want you to spend much time in prayer. I want you to have a relationship with the Father like I have with the Father. So your primary work as a discipler is to help the disciplely walk with God. Again, you can't help them do that unless you Walk with God. One of the most amazing things ever said uh, of a disciple is this, that they took note that they had been with Jesus. We're going to have to spend time with Jesus. When it comes to discipleship, that is the main thing. I want our young people here at Good News to know Bible facts. I want them to be able to take the word of God and have an answer to those that ask of the hope that lies within them. But you know what's even more important for our young people? That they know God. That they know how to walk with God. That every day is a very real experience talking to the Lord, being directed by the Lord, loving the Lord, worshiping Him. Can young people do that? They certainly can. Jesus, as a young man, did that, as did others in the scripture, notables like David. And So along with that lesson, disciples need to be committed to years of instruction and encouragement. When you lead someone to the Lord, it's like having a baby. All right, well, we're going to have eight lessons. You're going to get eight bottles, and good luck. (laughs) Now, sometimes discipleship is is done like that. You finish the course, great. Call me if you need. No, 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 no. It is a life of lifelong endeavor, encouraging, following up, uh, praying for them, being there for them. That's what disciplers do. Jesus spent three years. Paul told the Ephesians that he had spent two years with them, going house to house and instructing them in the word of the Lord. And so it is a commitment, but the rewards are out of this world. Now, when Saul returns to Damascus, look back again, Acts 9, verse 23. He says this, the Jews took counsel, the scripture says, Dr. Luke here, The Jews took counsel to what? Killing. Verse 22 told us that Paul knit together the truths that proved Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, The wording there indicates that he overwhelmed the Jews in Damascus with that evidence. I mean, there's no denying the evidence. Now that he had spent significant time with the Savior in Arabia, He is a far greater threat to Judaism no doubt they thought that they were rid of Saul during this extended time that he's he's out of the city he's gone but now he's returned and no doubt uh, has renewed his witnessing efforts in the city and they've got to stop this so they form a plot to kill him now according to the text their plot was a simple one, put assassins at all the city gates and when he tries to leave, murder him. What the text doesn't tell us is that the governor of Damascus was a part of this plot as well. You say well, I don't see that in Acts 9, no, but if you will look at 2 Corinthians 11:23, I'm sorry, 11:32, here's what we read. All right? Saul, now Paul, is telling the Corinthians the things he suffered in his Great Commission work. And as he is doing the Lord's work, he lists a number of things that he endured, risks to his life. And then he says this in verse 32, 2 Corinthians 11, In Damascus, the governor, who's not named, under Artax the king, Now, that's an interesting name. Who is this guy? Well, let's just pause for a moment. He was an Arabian. He was an Arabian king. He had some battles with Herod. Uh, he, uh, He was a threat to the Roman Empire. But during the time when there's a transition between two emperors, I think it was right at the time of, of when uh, Tiberius becomes the en- emperor of Rome. Uh, they're distracted in the empire, and he peacefully takes over Damascus. And the whole kingdom of Arabia included Damascus at that time. Well, he appointed a governor, and that governor, the, the, the scripture is telling us, uh, under Artus the king kept the city of the uh, Damascus, all right, um, and it says this, with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me. So who were the assassins at the gates? They were soldiers from the governor, all right? Amazing. Now when a new disciple commits his or her life to Christ, they become the enemy's target. And this is just the beginning. Uh, Saul has only been saved a short amount of time, relatively. And already, there are political figures who are involved in a plot to kill him. And so, disciplers, when you're discipling new Christians, you need to prepare them for this part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. All right. Some of you are new believers here today. You've only been saved a short amount of time, and you may be sitting there thinking, I don't remember signing up for that. Well, ye and all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. Okay? But here's the other good news. You are invincible on this planet until the Lord is done with you. And no matter what happens to you, no matter what happens to me, I get a promotion, an eternity of peace and joy, the absence of sin in a brand new body forever. So if something happens to me here, it's just my promotion. And as a new believer, you need to understand that everything here is temporary. It's all fading away. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever and so that good news follows in the text something very encouraging happens in chapter 9 verse 24 we're going to read it but here's the point i'm going to have it up on the screen for you when you are invested in the master's discipleship plan you are protected by the disciples master So we don't have to fear what man can do unto us. Paul's life is not a charmed life. It's a life that is protected by the God of heaven. And he survives all kinds of things that you and I will probably never face. Hallelujah. But the Lord allowed him to go through all those things to instruct us and encourage us that, you know what, God can preserve you, just stay in his will. He's going to take care of you, and he's going to fulfill that specific plan that he has for you. Look, Notice verse 24. But their laying a was known of Saul. The Bible doesn't even tell us how he knew, but his Savior, who knows all things, let this new apostle know that the governor's soldiers... Again, verse 24, watch the gates day and night to kill him. Now, again, this is going to be something we'll see all through Paul's life. Where there's a threat, God is right there to either inform him or to preserve him. He lives a full, long life and accomplishes everything that God said initially he would do. So stay tuned. This is going to happen over and over for our encouragement. So what will Saul do now? Verse 25, then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. Did you know there's an elevator story in the Bible? It's right there. Now, just to be honest, I don't want to be in this elevator. Okay. Okay. But if you even go to the Middle East today, they use these huge baskets. You find them all over, and they, now they load them on trucks, but they used to load them on, on wagons pulled by animals. These huge baskets, and yes, you could fit a body in there. And so as the disciples no doubt prayed in Damascus, wondered, how are we going to get Saul out of the city? Because we know what the governor has planned. Somebody said, well... Let's just let him down over the wall in a basket. Now that actually happened. It's nighttime. Young people, the Apostle Paul gets in a basket. They tie that thing with a rope, a good strong rope. And in a place where there's not any light, they let him down carefully. It really happened. When he gets to the bottom, he pops the lid off, if there was a lid. And he sets out back for Jerusalem. It happened. You know what that means? Being a disciple can really be exciting. It can really be exciting. Let me share a story with you, just how God preserved us one time. We just had the war here, uh, an outreach to teens. Uh, I traveled as a minute man back in the mid-80s. And I remember we were in Phoenix, Arizona. And in Phoenix, and I think this mall is still there. It's called the Metro. There, it's this massive mall. And they had ice skating rink inside. I don't. They had all kinds of stuff in there. And so I got the idea. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to recruit teens to come to the war. Little did I know that there was... Sorry about that. There was something of a war going on in the parking lots around that mall. And so I got out there, and I had one guy in the youth group with me, a guy like Ronnie's size, all right? And so it's just the two of us. And I look over here, and there's a whole motorcycle gang sitting under the lights. And I look over here, and people have their trunks open, and I know it's not Halloween, okay? And so there's stuff happening over there. And I look over here and there's a group of teens standing around their cars. And so I thought, okay I'm going to go and I'm going to recruit them. I walked up and I don't know if they were already smoking something that they shouldn't have been but they were very hostile and began to make fun of us. Now again, I'm in this parking lot. There's, there's I mean, this thing was acres and acres. And these teen guys surround me and this young teen, and I wasn't much older than him, frankly, at the time. And they start giving us a hard time, uh, using profanity, mocking us. I think there was a little bit of shoving that started, and I thought, Lord, I'm going to die. And so I prayed silently. Lord, this this isn't happening the way I thought. You're going to have to get get us out of this. And as soon as as I had those thoughts to the Lord, a car pulled up. Another car pulled up. and, And this group of guys opened up, and there was a guy in the car. And he looked at me, and he said, what are you guys doing? And I said, Well, I'm, we have this big activity. We're playing volleyball with a four foot uh, 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 big ball. And I'm, I'm going. And he's going, Really? And these guys started making fun of us again. And he looked at the ringleader in this thing and he said, Shut your mouth. Looking back, this guy had to be the head of this gang or this group because everybody went silent and they didn't say another word. And he looked at me and he goes, Now, what were you saying? All right, shut this microphone off that I'm wearing, okay? I'm so sorry, folks. I'm not sure what's happening. We'll just use this. Can you hear me okay? All right. No special effects. None of that was planned, all right? <laughs> the thunder was a different cue. That's later in the message. No, no, okay. Okay. <laughs> So they were quiet. He said, this sounds interesting. I think we'll come. I'm like, really? I t- was tempted to say, don't invite these guys. Okay. But, but I gave him some flyers. and He said, thanks. And he drove off and these guys went away. And I'm like, Lord, thank you. So I look back on that and I think, God, you, when we're in your will... You answer prayer, you protect until you're done with us. That was a great week. We saw teenagers come to know the Lord. Uh, I don't think the young fella in the car ever did show up, but God used him to protect us that night. When God is protecting, you have nothing to fear. I've had the privilege of traveling around the world, spent a, a week in Nairobi, Kenya, teaching in a Bible college there, and I got to meet some of the folks in the church, and the missionary told me, he goes, what's remarkable about these, these folks is they're from this tribe and this group, they're from this tribe. He said, remember I told you about the civil unrest we had in Nairobi, in the city, around the time of the last election? I said, yeah. He he said what what happened was uh, different tribes were backing different political candidates and they started to raid each other's homes and murder each other. Different parts of the city. He said what's amazing about what you're seeing here, these believers, these believers, he said during that civil unrest they were taking each other into each other's homes and hiding them to protect. So these believers were all in the same church but God had used them now as brothers and sisters in Christ to protect each other. I remember when missionaries were again allowed to go into Cambodia after the terror reign of Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge. But when those missionaries went in they started leading people to the Lord and they started winning some of Pol Pot's men Some of these butchers, remember the killing fields? It's these guys. They started to be saved. Missionaries came out of there and told how these men became their protectors in some of the dangerous jungle areas where missionaries were trying to lead others to Christ. These guys who knew the jungles and had operated there were now believers going with them, and they were their security force. That's what God does. You are protected by your master if you are engaged in discipleship. Now, the bond had grown strong between the believers and their uh, brother Saul in Damascus. But things were not going to be so easy where Saul headed next. Look at verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he assayed. Now, that's an old English word that means that he tried but the Greek here is continuous action. He kept trying to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Do you know what that tells us? Including the apostles. They were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So things had worked out in Damascus. God had directed there, right? Right? Uh, Now the brethren there, they understood what God had done in Saul's life. They help him escape. He gets to Jerusalem. There's no welcome committee. They don't trust this guy. And obviously for good reason. So this reminds us again of what a terror Saul had been before he was saved. They're still getting over in Jerusalem. The apostles had been delivered from the authorities on two different occasions there. No doubt believers in Damascus had sent word to the Jerusalem church of Saul's conversion. Yet Stephen's death and Saul's previous reign of terror had them living in fear. They were still hiding. Now what was needed was another Ananias. An encourager who would risk his own life to meet Saul and introduce him to the saints who are hiding around Jerusalem. Now, no doubt the Holy Spirit had been working in hearts. Probably several were thinking, well, you know, we're hearing this. Someone needs to go to Saul and see if the things we've heard of him are true. Somebody needs to do that. Why, Why aren't the apostles stepping up? Maybe the apostles are thinking, just wish somebody would go and, and meet this guy. If the Lord prompts you to come alongside a new believer and encourage them in this church or in your church, don't assume someone else is going to do it. It's your job. It's every Christian's job. You make the sacrifice to help them meet other believers. You teach them from the scriptures and be a spiritual mentor to them. Now in the text, someone does reach out to Saul. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas. I was tempted to title the message that. But Barnabas. But Ananias. (laughs) Praise God for these guys. Now, we know Barnabas from chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. Remember, the church, they were selling possessions and giving all the money to the church to help that influx of new believers. They were caring for one one another. One of those guys was Joseph, uh, but the disciples didn't call him that. The apostles didn't call him. They called him Barnabas, son of consolation. Well, what does that mean? Son of encouragement. As the apostles watched Barnabas, what he, he just moved around in the church and he's there to encourage and help and, and disciple. And he's always, he's not thinking about himself, he's very sacrificial, he's a devout man, he's godly, and he's there to help. Barnabas is the guy that steps forward. The scripture says in verse 27, he took him. Do you know what that means? The idea is he took hold of him. The church in Jerusalem weren't sure they wanted to see Saul and Saul's not sure if they're going to accept him. So I think what happened is he walked up to Saul, grabbed him by the tunic and said, you're coming with me. That's what the text seems to indicate here. And brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, how Saul had, and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas goes to him, he says, Saul, tell me your testimony. They have a time of discussion together, and once once Barnabas has heard his testimony, he takes him and he says, "You're, you're coming with me, we're going to the apostles. And so what Barnabas shares with the apostles about Saul indicates that Barnabas had befriended Saul. That's right. Many congregations have them, faithful disciples who reach out to new Christians to encourage them and to introduce them to other believers. Here's the question, are you one of those faithful disciples in this congregation? She looks new. I don't recognize him. Is that what happens? Or do you go? Do you find out who they are? Do you meet them? Do you encourage them? Do you do that in the church that you attend if you're visiting from out of town? Now what kind of a difference did Barnabas' encouragement, his courage and obedience make? Verse 28 And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Do you know what that little phrase means? He was accepted in the inner circle of the apostles. Them refers to the apostles. He's accepted now. They hear his testimony, he's no different than they are, and he spent three years with the Lord too. And now there's this other apostle. Verse 29, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. Now wait, this is the same group that Stephen had been trying to convince in their synagogue before they turned on him and with the help of the high priest killed Stephen. What is Saul doing? Well, he knew about these Grecians, these Proselytes, who these Jews that had been raised in Greek culture, who had embraced Judaism, he knows about them. He knew that they were part of the gaggle that got Stephen martyred. And do you know what he does? He says, Look, I consented to Stephen's death. Now I'm going back to them and I'm going to tell them Stephen was right. What? Yeah. Stephen was right. Now, did Paul think they were going to get saved? I think he believed it. But what's the rest of verse 29 say? But they went about to slay him. They haven't changed their minds. And watch how the church responds again. Just as the believers in Damascus had done, verse 30, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea by the sea sent him forth to Tarsus, this was Saul's hometown. They wanted Saul to get a reprieve. Everywhere he goes, they're trying to kill him. Verse 31, and when the churches then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord, all that had happened had gotten the church back to stop fearing man and start fearing God again. Just get busy for God. And notice what else happened in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. They were multiplied. Ah, and the work goes on. Through the Holy Spirit, the church begins to grow. So, these final phrases in this section of scripture remind us that numbers are not the goal in the church. When saints in a local church are committed to the master's discipleship plan through fearing God unto obedient Great Commission work, regardless of the risks. And by the way, we all work together. If we ever became a persecuted church here in America, this would be the team to not only continue Great Commission work, but we'd be hiding each other and maybe letting people down in baskets over the wall too. And when persecutors got saved, we'd be going to the persecutors saying, hey, come meet your new family. This is real, folks. It's real. And when that is our attitude and we're committed, the church will enjoy the rewards of the Holy Spirit's comfort and continued multiplication. Are you excited about what God's doing at Good News? I'm excited. Is persecution going to slow us down? Well, it depends on how committed we are to the Master's discipleship plan. But I believe that God can continue a almighty work through us. And in fact, persecution will purify us and make us even more powerful as we depend on the Spirit of God. So... Discipleship, the risks and rewards. Listen, trust your God, take the risks, and let's enjoy the rewards of what he is going to continue to do here as we walk with him. Father, thank you for this text. Lord, you didn't save us to sit in the bleachers. We need to get in the game. And Lord, that's where great blessing Great blessing comes from. Now, Lord, our work is vital because there are those who do not know our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, today, would you help us to be committed? We all have a salvation story if we know you as Savior. And, Lord, as part of that story, there were people that sacrificed so that we would hear and we'd be discipled. Help us not to forget, but help us to be a blessing, to look around, to be sensitive, listening to your spirit, to know how you want us to be involved in other lives. Help us to be committed to that, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening.